Hey science fans, I have another fantastic podcast to recommend to you guys. The Waterline Podcast. Everything you need to know about the science of water. Have we managed to develop the most sustainable irrigation techniques? Can water be the bringer of peace? Can flushing your toilet light up your house? The answer to all of these questions and many more in the Waterline Podcast which is an initiative of the Israel New Tech as part of the Israeli Ministry of Economy and Industry. It's a new podcast that, uh, is, that is created to communicate the many facets of water. So please, check out an episode. I've, uh, I've checked out several. I actually went back and listened to the very first episode, which gives you a nice overview of uh, sources of fresh water all around the world, rivers, lakes, underground sources, and to see how, how delicate they are, how prone they are to contamination. This is exceptionally important stuff for our world and our future, and I highly recommend this podcast. Search Waterline Podcast on iTunes or in your Android podcast app. Very quick date plug before we go into it. I haven't done a date plug in a while. I, I don't know why. I, I try to keep these intros and outros short, believe it or not. I, you wouldn't always know that. But I do I do strive for that. Get Just getting into the meat of the show. And today is a fantastic one. So for those of you that uh, happen to be in uh, any of these areas, I would love uh, some support. Or if you know anyone in any of these cities, I'm about to rattle off. It's always great to have fans come out and always great when fans can spread the word to their friends and loved ones and enemies and all that good stuff. I have Seattle coming up. I have a bunch of dates in Oregon coming up, a bunch of one-nighters in Oregon. A lot of these are, are club dates, like week-long things. But here's some one-nighters in Oregon. Bend, Newport, Richmond, Lincoln City, boom. Maybe I, uh, I, I stop in and I do some spots around Portland from time to time. If you follow me on Facebook and, and Twitter, I sometimes announce those, just trying out some new stuff and whatnot. Usually I have Winnipeg coming up in April as well as Des Moines. I have Jamaica coming up in May. Looking super forward to the psilocybin retreat. In May, um, I guess some of you are starting to um, show a lot of interest, and it's been it's been starting to fill up. So it's uh, it's looking like it's it's going to be a success. It's looking like it's going to be a fun one, and it might be the only time that we get a chance to do this uh, together. The here we are uh, mushroom retreat together in Jamaica. I think it's going to be fantastic. Who else is doing such a thing? It's awesome. I feel like a crazy person for even doing it, but I've already done it before. It was awesome, and it's going to be great again. Minneapolis coming up in Grand Rapids. I haven't started filling my second half of the year yet. I haven't started reaching out for dates because I have a bunch of other projects going on that I hope to share with you guys uh, soon. Maybe even some TV projects. Can't share too much just yet. Plus, a lot of that stuff is uh, basically a, a lottery ticket. It's it's uh, the chances of, of some of those things actually taking off are slim to none. But I'll share more news as soon as it comes in. I've been feeling a little more excited. I've had ups and downs lately, but I've been uh, I've been getting myself um, a little bit out of a funk, um, and I'm excited to be doing more club work 
again and and kind of getting back into the routine of that been doing a bunch of um fantastic podcasts lately finally getting a bunch on the bank which is a lot of stress off of me and then i also um already know how how good the next uh i think i have five already in the bank now five more podcasts coming up they're all fantastic so i've been pretty uh, excited about that Again, try to keep these intros short, and then here we go. Three-minute mark and counting. I thought it was going to be shorter than that. That's uh, expectations versus reality. That's just what you get sometimes. Um, I, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm such a reserved person, and then I do... And then you stick me in front of a microphone by myself to do a stupid intro or outro for a podcast, and whew, I just start, just start blabbing. I don't know. I don't know what gets into me in these things, but I'm uh, I'm glad you guys uh, like to. Uh, most of you like to keep up with with what I'm doing. I'm sure some of you skip right over this stuff. Don't blame me one bit. There's some of you out there, but I I am grateful that uh, that many of you like to keep up with what I'm doing and. and Everywhere I go, I, I get here. We are fans coming out and supporting the shows, and that means a whole lot. So, thank you guys and enjoy today's really wonderful episode about ADHD. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I have PhD student in the Behavioral Neuroscience Department at Oregon Health Science University. Brittany Alfred joins me. Hello, thank you. Uh, we did. That was four intros. Was- I always, I always <laughs> inform my listeners in how many times it took me to get it right. Yeah. But we nailed it on the fourth one. I think it was. Yeah, it's it was a well. it's a running joke in the <laughs> podcast that I can't do intros. One of these times, I'll just leave in all of the bad ones that I do, so people can hear so they can how. Really know <laughs> how bad it is because it is amusing all right this is one of those uh, one of the topics that i really really look forward to because uh well it's an interesting topic in general but um my my egocentrism uh, is like ooh, i can relate to this uh this topic very much and so i'm i'm even more excited than usual for today's podcast because you study ADHD. I do. Um, that's, and it's something that uh, many, many people in my life think that I have, and I'm pretty sure that I, <laughs> I have as well. So uh, interesting topic. Uh, how did you get into studying ADHD? Ah, ADHD. So, um, well, I, you know, like many people applied to grad school and was looking for programs and people who I wanted to work with and uh, loved Portland and really liked OHSU and ended up here. And fortunately, um, there was a lab here where they were studying ADHD, which wasn't really, I didn't come into grad school thinking, I want to study ADHD. That's my, that's my thing. Um, I came in really wanting to study mindfulness and um, really came at things from kind of an attention perspective. And mm-hmm. so really interested in attention, getting more interested in emotion. Um, and in talking to some of the researchers here, so particularly Joel Nigg, who I work with, and Sarah Carlunas, um, Sarah Carlunas in particular, who had just started up a lab here at OHSU and both of them studying ADHD and being really interested in 
um, that population where attention is obviously a big issue. Um, the key, the core feature of, of ADHD is, is issues with inattention in addition to hyperactivity. But also, um, one thing that people don't know as well is that individuals with ADHD often tend to have issues with emotion. And so this is kind of this great population for someone who's interested in looking at attention and emotion and how those two things interact. Uh, and Sarah also runs an EEG lab or electroencephalography, which is recording brainwaves, which I've been doing for the past 10 years. So I kind of came in with this EEG background and found a space where we're studying attention, we're studying emotion um, in this ADHD population using EEG. So all of the stars kind of aligned. And I've learned a lot about ADHD in the past few years that I've been here, but definitely didn't come in with, with mm. a strong background in ADHD by, by any means. What is the connection between emotion and ADHD? Oh, my goodness. Um, the connection between emotion and ADHD. So there are lots of ways to answer that question. Um, so one way to think about it is you can have um, you can have these kids with – I'm going to talk about kids mostly. We think of ADHD as a, it's a neurodevelopmental disorder um, and the onsets in childhood. I mean, you – you can continue to have ADHD symptoms. You can t continue to have ADHD into adulthood, but I'll, I'll probably talk about kids and I'll say kids a lot, but that doesn't exclude this from adults, people beyond childhood. Um, and you can think about ADHD. One of the issues with ADHD is that there are so many different ways it can manifest. So you can have kid A who has ADHD, kid B with ADHD, and they have zero overlapping symptoms. And we see this across attention features, we see this across hyperactivity features, and we see this across emotional features. So some kids with ADHD will be um, what we call surgent, which are these really happy, exuberant kids. They get really excited about things. If you walk into them, like, oh my God, oh my God, I can't wait to see you. And they're, they're bouncing around. They're so happy. And you would think that would be a really wonderful thing. But sometimes they're too happy in a way that's distracting and problematic to them. They're really not it seems to be they're nearly not regulating those positive emotions. And then you can have kids on the other side of the spectrum where they are cranky and they are irritable and they get really sad and they have temper tantrums. Um, and so if anything negative happens, it is the end of the world. Yeah, that, that, so I got have, that one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Man, you didn't get the happy one. So I know. you can have kids on both ends of these spectrums, and you can have kids who, who experience both as well. So there's a lot of this. And you can have kids who don't have these kind of, we would call them emotional phenotypes, these kind of emotional features of ADHD, which makes ADHD kind of this this cloud of confusion of there's, you know, all these different kids and they look so differently from each other and how do we treat it? And um, so looking at these emotional components has actually been really informative. Um, and potentially there's a, there's a paper that came out a couple of years ago from Sarah Carlunas, who I work with, uh, was looking at these um, like emotional phenotypes, these like emotional subcategories. And so right now we divide ADHD into inattentive and hyperactive, right? Or both. Um, and you can, Kids will change which category they fall into over time. It's not stable, right? It doesn't, it's not, it's not sustained. So if you're inattentive when you're a kid, doesn't mean you're inattentive when you're an adult. If you're hyperactive when you're a kid, doesn't mean you're going to be hyperactive when you're an adult. It doesn't inform treatments. It doesn't inform trajectory. It just, it, it's not that informative, but it's the category that we have. So there's this push to try to understand, well, what, maybe there are better subgroups 
of mm-hmm. people with ADHD. And so one way of looking at this was looking at these emotional subgroups. So we've got these surgeon kids, the super happy ones. We've got these irritable kids, the kind of the cranky ones. And we've got kind of emotionally normal kids. Um, and looking at, right, what are the what are the trajectories of these kids? And is this more stable over time? And does this predict something in the future? And so one of the things that they found was that, one, it seems to be more stable across time than looking at kind of inattentive or combined or hyperactive, which are the current What's more stable over time? The kids staying in those emotional groups. So if you're irritable when you're a kid next year, you're still going to be an irritable kid. Even if your attention's better. Yeah, even if... um, yeah, even if your attention is kind of fluctuating, that okay. your, that irritability will will stay with you. As in terms of, as long as you're staying in that ADHD group, yes, mm-hmm. we don't see these groupings. If you look at kids who don't have ADHD, they don't divide up into these nice groups as well. Um, this is kind of specific to ADHD. Um, and one of the really important things is that these irritable kids, the kids that tend to be kind of crankier, they're at higher risk for developing what we call comorbid disorders. So. Um, they have ADHD, but they also develop mood disorders like depression, or they also develop anxiety. So these, this kind of irritability in childhood seems to be um, a marker for potential uh, de- developing other potential disorders in the future, which is important to know because that informs how we treat them and how do we move forward with them and who's more at risk for developing things later on. Um, so starting to kind of pull out more information from starting to look at these different subgroups of kids, particularly looking at emotion and ADHD, which has been really interesting. Hmm. Um, yeah. Um, huh. Well, that's... Uh... No, all of that made sense. I'm just, what I'm just thinking about myself right now, yeah. <laughs> as, as people tend to do, as I tend to do, um, inappropriately, uh, way too much. Um, but, but I, I was thinking about how I've had depression, um, in my entire life. Yeah. And then just about a year ago, I started experiencing anxiety regularly mm. for the first time. And so, uh, it's interesting that it predicts, potentially more um symptoms in the future not not that i mean i haven't been officially diagnosed or anything yeah (laughs) Uh, but um but well that sucks (laughs) yeah but (laughs) sorry man uh, (laughs) i thought depression was uh was just because i had a handle on that i was like oh i'm just used to having depression so okay but now anxiety is coming along adding in as well yeah. yeah That starts oh, well. to be, yeah, I mean, that's so, so stories like that, right? It starts to be really important to, to know who are the people who are going to end up in point A, who are the people who are going to end up in point B, who's going to grow out of this, who's going to get worse, who's going to end up in jail, you know, like how do we mm-hmm. figure out who, who ends up in what pocket? So it becomes really important to oh, try man, to understand. Oh man, I'm going to end up in jail. I'm going to end up in jail. <laughs> no, well, you seem to be doing all right, right? Yeah. No, you are. We already put you on a trajectory. All you're right. not on the jail, you're not on the jail path. You're on a different path. Um, but it becomes really important to know, right, where are these kids going to end up? Where are these people going to yeah. end up so that we can intervene and try to take them off that path and put them on a different one if, it, if that path doesn't seem like maybe it's going to be the best one for them. Hmm. Um, and right now we're kind of just doing what we can and we know what we know, and, um, but it's hard to predict where people are going. So that's really where the field seems to be going. Right? How do we know? How do we know where people are going and how do we change that? So... This is, I mean, ADHD is, uh, what's kind of the history of ADHD? Because it seems, at, at least 
most people, when they talk about it, they're like, this is kind of a new thing. Or, yeah. or like my parents or something would be like, we didn't have this when, when we were kids. Yeah. But it just simply wasn't being diagnosed. Right. right. Yeah. So the that's an interesting question. So um, ADHD, so the name has changed over time. Um, back, I can't remember what the exact words are, but... A handful of years ago, kind of when this first started came out, it was called like brain dysfunction disorder or something. It was something very, the word attention wasn't in it. It wasn't Mm -hmm. brain dysfunction disorder, but it was something similar to that. Um, And then it became attention deficit and you could be hyperactive. So people just called it ADD. And now it's just ADHD and you have these different, um, you could have a different subtype. And now most recently there's not subtypes anymore. They're presentations, um, which is kind of like a lesser emphasis on that because we know that they're not necessarily the most predictive subcategories these these presentations are inattentive and hyperactive or are both combined um so over time so one thing that's changed is stimulant medication so there wasn't a lot of stimulant medication until maybe the 2000s um and prior to that i think there was a couple out there but they weren't pharmaceutical companies i think started producing more and more stimulants, and now they're here as ADHD kind of became, rose up into the public sphere, people being kind of more aware of this. Um, And it's hard to say, it's hard to say about ADHD specifically um, and psychiatric disorders in general have tended to be kind of hush-hush. So I think as maybe mental health stigma starts to lift and people are talking about these different disorders a little bit more. ADHD became more of a thing that it was okay to talk about. Um, But I really don't know why there has been an increase in diagnoses and some people say, oh, people are diagnosing it poorly or ADHD is not a real thing or, you know, whatever the things are that people say, which I talk to people about a lot. And um, I think it's true for, for anything. Some, some people don't diagnose well, that's true. Um, And some people diagnose very well. Um, and the claim that, oh, ADHD is just a manifestation of America and American culture. Um, there's actually been, there was a study, it was a while ago, it was 15 years ago, um, that, that looked at this question of, it's just an American thing, um, and looked at other development countries. And one of the problems is that we don't define it the same way as people might in other countries. Our manuals is, is an American diagnostic manual um, that other countries can use and can look at, but they, they generally don't, I believe. So there's differences in, in how we diagnose and what these categories are. But if you look at papers from all around the world and you categorize people in the same way, you see similar rates of ADHD in different countries. So it's not it's not American. Um, right. And the rates of diagnoses have Here increased. Here I thought I was being like, oh, patriotic with my ADHD. This is an American <laughs> disorder. It's not. Um, it's not, we just look at it a certain way and we call it a certain thing and that differs between different countries. So I think that's kind of part of the reason, mm-hmm. but yeah, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but. Oh, I love rambling. <laughs> it takes so much pressure off me. Yeah, please keep going. Keep you rambling. stop rambling. I have to think of <laughs> questions and I'll run out of questions eventually. So, um, uh, so what are, what are some of the, when you, when you mentioned different interventions now that, yeah. now that, um, your um, finding different categories of ADHD and mm-hmm. seeing it express itself. What's the word that you use now? Um, uh, 
the paths, trajectories, yeah, phenotypes, bunch yeah. of throwing words out. <laughs> um, so what are the different interventions being used? Yeah. So that's a good question. So I think the, the research right now is still very much in the phase of what are these trajectories and what do these different groups look like? And there are a lot of people who are studying different types of interventions and treatments and how those work and who those work on. And, um, it's not the work that we're doing here in the lab. We kind of we take a step back from that. And we're asking like, who are the kids? Where are they going? How do we predict different things? And that informs treatment. That will inform intervention, which other people will work on. So it's kind of this, you know, the big collaboration that we call science. Hmm. Um, and I mean, the most common treatment right now is stimulant medication, um, which is very effective for a lot of people. And it's like this again. I'll I'll go back to kind of relating this to any psychiatric disorder. It's like that for any psychiatric disorder. If you talk about depression, antidepressants are life saving for a lot of people, but they also don't work for a lot of people. And the same is true for stimulant medication. So it will help you. It'll be extremely helpful for some kids, some individuals. Um, it'll be partially helpful for more. So that's usually the thing. Medication will help with some symptoms, but it won't help with all of them. Um, it'll help with inattention. It'll help with that hyperactivity, but maybe it doesn't help with emotion regulation. Um, and then it just might not be helpful at all for some kids, right? So medication works sometimes. It doesn't work all the time. There are different types of behavioral interventions that you can do with the individual. You can do interventions with parents. Um, the family environment is a really big thing in general and with ADHD, um, which we're learning more and more. Everything is really this interaction between right, your genetics and your biology, but also your environment, particularly what's going on in the home. Um, and so behavioral interventions, medical interventions, medication interventions um, are kind of the biggest thing. There's a general push in the world looking at mindfulness interventions. Um, there haven't been a ton looking at ADHD, and most of them are pretty small. So that one I would say is inconclusive, but we like to think that it'll be effective because we love mindfulness, but sure. yeah. <laughs> we uh, all love mindfulness. Yeah. I, I um, try it. My life is better when I'm meditating regularly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, but it's hard to do and it's hard to motivate people to do that, especially if you mm -hmm. have a group of people who are not necessarily known for their self-motivation ability, um, which would be an ADHD population oftentimes, but not everybody, obviously, but a lot of people. Um, and then I think, you know, the strongest, the strongest interventions are always combinations of things. So if you have medication, if that's working for you a little bit, or you have a behavioral intervention, or you're going to therapy, or you're doing a certain type of, um, diet plays a big role. If you are having interventions from the family end and from the self end, and you have medication, right, these combinations of things. But again, that's really a lot of the research is going into understanding what are the mechanisms Right. What, what's the biology? What's the environment? What are these interactions and how does that inform our treatments? So how can we better treat these individuals? Because it's right now it's kind of, it's a little bit of a guessing game um, and we throw them into a pool together and they're not all the same. Hmm. Um, and again, that's true for every psychiatric disorder, not just ADHD. Um, what, what about uh, what about abuse problems with some of the medications out there? Because that, that's one that it seems like it's it's uh, more of an issue than with other um medications and disorders yeah so um i, I also actually, great question <laughs> i actually i ask because i finally i mean things have just my organizationally in my life things have just been getting out of control yeah. lately and I, I just need to 
pull my act together um, just from the standpoint of doing paperwork and things like that that I just simply can't get myself to do. And so I I went I was I was uh, I had a um, a manic episode mm. uh, last summer triggered by um, triggered by psychedelics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so uh, and so then I was diagnosed with bipolar one put on a mood stabilizer uh-huh. and then which i actually think i'm two bipolar two and it was just bumped up to one because of psychedelics. psychedelics um and i don't think that i would ever go to one without psychedelics mm-hmm. but um uh but anyway because of that so i finally i've never wanted to have uh i've never wanted to um have the treatment with ADHD because I was always like, well, I'm a really creative person. I like Mm. the way my mind works. Mm -hmm. I don't mind that I'm distracted because I'm not terribly interested in a lot of the same things that people are interested in. So I'm like, well, yeah, I didn't care about history class because I find it boring (laughs) and I wanted to be a stand-up comedian. So I was daydreaming about stand-up comedian rather than uh, being a comedian rather than paying attention to class, which eventually paid off for me because I was visualizing my yeah and it it worked um and so but lately i was like i think i need medication but they won't give it to me because um now they're like well you have a uh, you have a drug abuse which is silly a drug abuse because i did psych because of one psychedelic experience that went uh that went haywire um so so that's why Mm -hmm. i asked the question Mm -hmm. is is um um, there, there must be practitioners out there that are that are worried about um, abuse issues. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Again, I'm not a clinician, so it's I don't have the. I'm not, you know, I'm not prescribing people. I'm not diagnosing people. I'm not directly in that world, but obviously sit adjacent to it. Um, and just from, so yes, um, there is an ab- abuse issue with stimulant medication. I think. Um, because of that, because of that, particularly in terms of like performance enhancement, and there was a lot of stuff with like college students just like taking Adderall. Um, and I think because of that, so now if you do have a stimulant prescription, you have to um, you have to go to the doctor and re-get that prescription every time you need it refilled, and then you have to go to the pharmacy and get it refilled. It's a huge obstacle. Um, for people with ADHD and can be really challenging for a population of people who have trouble with organization. Um, (laughs) So you have your last pill and your pills are gone and now you need to make a doctor's appointment and get it, you know. Um, And I'm sure that these are, I obviously don't go through this and this is anecdotal from from talking to people who are are on this medication. um, There's probably some systems in place where you kind of make your next appointment preemptively and go in, but still you have to go physically to a place and do a thing. You have to go physically to another place and do another thing. And I'm running out of my prescription right now. And and just because (laughs) I I have a hard time just running errands and doing things. Of course, of course. So it's a huge, so yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult problem to, prevent a population from abusing a medication which has potential side effects mm-hmm. but also blockading that very helpful and important medication for the people who actually need it and i think that's always kind of going to be a struggle but another thing is kind of amping up the diagnostic procedure of actually diagnosing adhd and having people go through the full diagnostic diagnosis diagnostic process 
um, rather than having someone come into your office and say, oh, I'm having trouble with attention and I can't pay attention and here's my story and the doctor being like, okay, I'll give you mm-hmm. stimulants. Um, so I think there's this shift in kind of rigorous diagnostic procedures, um, which has always been preferable, but it becomes more and more important as we as we deal with medications that are are susceptible to abuse in the population. So, so what is the full diagnostic procedure? Yeah. So, um, usually, again, I'm not a clinician, um, but usually, you- I, 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 I like, <laughs> I, I often, well. Uh, researchers, um, people in the sciences are are <laughs> always so very careful not to uh, not to like speak out of school or yeah. but we're like I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll act like I know about everything mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. because I don't. Uh, I'm a comedian. I guess I get to just say you whatever to I that. want to. But you yeah. guys are are so careful. Um, so. So I end up putting people on the spot of talking about things that they're like, I'm not supposed to be talking about this because it's not exactly what I, but we'll, we'll give you a license here. Yeah. Oh, great. I love it. (laughs) Perfect. I'm now a clinician. Um, so you would, and I can, I can speak also to, I mean, we diagnose in our lab, we give, I mean, they're not official diagnoses, but we categorize people as being having ADHD or not having ADHD. And so the types of procedures we do in the lab would be pretty similar to what you would do in a clinic. Um, but you would go in, you'd talk about your symptoms like you would in any other scenario. And, um, so generally what you want is the opinion of the person complaining, obviously. So if I go in I'm like, I'm having problems with attention, I'll get evaluated. I'll have a clinical interview. We'll talk about those symptoms. We'll go through kind of checklists of things and elaborate on each of them. Um, um, and that will be with the clinician. I would probably fill out some questionnaires about myself, these standardized questionnaires that have been validated to um, look at these different symptoms and, and diagnose ADHD. Um, and importantly, if I'm an adult, I am going to have to think about what I was like as a kid. Because um, in order to get an ADHD diagnosis right now, you need to have had symptoms um, prior to the age of 12. And um, I'm also going to get asked to have someone who knows me well currently and probably someone who knew me well when I was a kid also fill out some questionnaires and report on my symptoms. So you want to get information, one, from the individual, but also from what we call informants, so other people who know them well. Mm -hmm. We know that people with ADHD are notoriously terrible reporters about themselves. So it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. How so? Um, there's unreliable. Their their self report is just um, can be unreliable more so than someone without ADHD. Well, you're you're the thousandth person to call me unreliable in my life. So is that diagnostic? <laughs> yeah, officially. Now that I'm a clinician, we can say for sure. Yeah. Um, and so you want to get you want to get information both from the individual and from someone who knows them well, and you want that to converge. And if you have this. Um, disagreement, then you kind of have to dig in deeper. Maybe, you know, your mom and your friends say there's nothing wrong with you at all. And you're like, no, I can't pay attention at all. It's horrible or vice versa. Um, although you probably wouldn't be in the clinic in the first place mm-hmm. if you didn't think anything was wrong. Um, impairment gets factored in there too. Just asking, you know, how impairing is this? Is this a problem for you? Again, you probably wouldn't end up in the clinic if you're an adult, if you didn't feel like it was an issue with kids, parents will often bring them in. Um, and with kids, it becomes a little bit more important too to do um, some potentially do cognitive testing to rule out um, other learning disorders. So often what appears this person's not this kid's not paying attention. They never hear what I'm saying. They never do what I say could just be an auditory processing disorder. 
right? So they're just like having a really hard time un- literally understanding the words that you're saying when you say them. They're not inattentive. And it's really, it gets really hard to pull things apart like that. So you can do kind of these standardized cognitive tests where we sit down at a table. We'll do tests about memory. We'll do tests about listening. We'll do tests about decision making, things like that to see, to try to tease out, is this ADHD? Is this inattention? Is this hyperactivity? Or is this something else? Um, Because you really don't want this to be ruled back to something else and start treating ADHD if you kind of missed something. So it's important to consider other things that kind of get tangled, could get tangled in there. Where does EEG come in? EEG comes in, um, EEG comes in primarily in research. Um, Mm -hmm. So not generally in the clinic. The people are used... um, you can do biofeedback, which is when you get kind of these sensors hooked up to your head and they're recording your brain waves and you'll see something on a monitor that's a reflection of whatever's going on in your brain. You'll try to modulate that by doing different mm-hmm. types of exercises. So it's like a way to kind of control your physiology. You can do it with your heart too. Um, but we don't, we don't do that here. Um, but we use EEG in the lab mostly to understand um, different types of um, emotional processes or attentional processes. So what I study is mind wandering in ADHD. So I want to understand what's one, what does mind wandering look like in individuals with ADHD? And two, what's going on in their brain when they're doing, when they're mind wandering? Um, And so what we can do is we can connect you to EEG and have you do a really boring boring task where you're going to mind wander. We find out when you were mind wandering by kind of when you say you were. And then we can look at the brain. What's the brain doing when you're mind wandering? And you can do this with different types of imaging as well. I happen to use EEG here. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a window into the brain. It's mm. a window into understanding kind of what's going on beyond what you say is going on. Well, uh, so first off, what is mind wandering from, from your perspective? From, My perspective. I mean, I, I think everyone has a sense of their mind. But, yeah. But what is the point of... Of uh, a wandering mm, mind. Mm, so philosophical. Um, so <laughs> mind wandering. Um, what is mind wandering? Great question. Um, debate in the field. Um, debate in my soul. Um, so one of the issues right now is we call lots of different things mind wandering. Um, and a problem in the research field generally is when different people are calling people different calling things different things, we can't pull together information. Um, And we also don't even know, are we talking about the same thing? Are we defining this differently? Are we defining it the same way, but using different words? It becomes really complicated. Um, So generally, when I think about mind wandering, I think about um, your attention is not on the task in front of you. But again, that's a very that's a very narrow definition of mind wandering. And kind of the classic example is you're driving a car and suddenly you realize that you were thinking about your laundry. Are you thinking what you ate last night? Are you thinking about the friend you're about to see? But you've been driving for the past 10 minutes, but you were just kind of on autopilot, right? Your mind was totally somewhere else and not paying attention to what was going on around you. Oh, people um, actually pay attention to oh, what's going yeah, on Oh, yeah, what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> sometimes, you know, huh. sometimes they do, yeah. I've never tried that. Yeah, yeah, you should try, you should try. <laughs> you might be surprised. So, and there are moments like that, and generally that's benign, right? You're driving on the highway and you mm-hmm. kind of snap out. If something were to jump in front of you, you'd probably notice. Maybe your reaction time would be a little bit slower because you have to come back to reality, but people people do this all the time. Um, and again, you're sitting on a bus and you're just staring out the window and you're thinking about all kinds of things, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But there gets to this point where you were talking about before being in history class and you're sitting there thinking about being a comedian and you're not paying attention. And so for you, it ended up working out. But for if in every single class, you were never paying attention to anything. And maybe you weren't thinking, maybe this person's not thinking about being a comedian. They're thinking about stuff that's not, it's not planning. It's not creative. Right. It's not, maybe it's, maybe it's bad. Maybe they're just thinking about bad things or maybe they don't even know what they're thinking about because they just have so many thoughts. They can't even pull out information from it and they're failing all their classes because they're just they can't retain any information because they're just unable to stay with what's going on around them because they're just so in their head and so this is one of the the features that we see in adhd is people come into the clinic and they say i just have such a hard time paying attention my mind just goes to all these other places or i have so many thoughts at once i can't even pull out information from that yeah um i used to feel that way all of the time not so much not so much um as I get older, mm-hmm. it seems mm-hmm. like it's slowed down a bit. Good. Great. But uh, I used to, I think that's why I liked alcohol so much. It felt like it slowed, <laughs> slowed down my mind Depressant. a little bit. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, It'll do that. <laughs> and I could actually like grab onto a thought. I, I felt yeah. I felt like thoughts mm. were very, very difficult to actually grab onto and that's, articulate. Yeah. I think that's, that's an interesting thing too, because a lot of people with ADHD will often go down the, right, one of the trajectories is a substance abuse path. Mm -hmm. So they're using substances to cope with this, like I can't pay attention or I'm feeling so restless and stuff and maybe alcohol will help me. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of start to get into a rocky territory when you start to completely rely on that self-medicating. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not saying that that's what you do, but that that's like, oh, that's what I did. Okay, great. (laughs) great. Yeah. Mind wandering. So I I just went uh, I, I went down to a Bend, Oregon last weekend, mm-hmm. and I had to go through Mount Hood while there's the big snowstorms. Yeah, oh. and so I had to drive through all of that, and that was a case where my mind wasn't wandering, and mm-hmm. I was I was yeah. paying very very close attention to uh, to exactly mm-hmm. um, you know where the car in front of me was and and what was going on on the road. And, yeah. Um, and then other times I'm am on autopilot uh, mm-hmm. a lot more. I I come up with the many of my uh, many of my best ideas while I'm uh, while I'm driving and, yes. and my mind is wandering. Yes, um, in the shower, washing dishes, things like that are 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 really um, well as, as as someone who makes a living off of creativity. Yeah. This is something that is. I mean, these are. This is like gold for me. This is. I. I love a lot. I did a big uh, hundred and eleven city tour where I was almost in a new city every night, and everyone thought I was crazy. Uh, I was having to drive four hours every day to the next. I loved it. I. Yeah, that was. I got tons of uh, tons of work done and yeah. recorded a lot of voice notes and everything. So, um. So yeah, I, I guess. I, I wonder how much of it is a. I, again, I'm in a fortunate position. I guess for someone, if if I do in fact have ADHD, uh, I've picked a good career yes. for myself <laughs> uh, for sure. Because a lot you of have. a lot of what my mind wandering is about is um, is I might have a have trouble like sitting down to pay bills or what. I, even if I have the money to pay them and whatnot, just actually doing the process of of doing the busy work stuff or, or putting, uh, putting, I am, I am so bad at just scheduling. Like I didn't have 
uh, this interview in my calendar at all. It would have been an easy thing to add to my calendar, but instead I have to like remember it and then remember, oh, and what was, okay, and how do I find that old email? And that's how I'll, I, I make life so much harder on myself than it needs to be. Um, but I forget where I was going with that. Oh, I, a lot of, a lot of what my mind is wandering is, is I'm thinking of a podcast that I'll be doing in the future. Or after this podcast today, I imagine I'll be, I'll be, uh, ruminating over the next couple of days. I'll be like, Oh, I wish, I, I wish I wouldn't have, uh, stumbled over that question or I wish I would have asked this or asked that. But those are all kind of, is it, that's the brain kind of learning from past behavior and kind of preparing for maybe future episodes that I'll do or, or, um, kind of running, uh, I've, I've gotten known as a pretty good podcast guest. And that's because when I do big podcasts, I sometimes spend a month just sitting around thinking about, uh, spending a lot of time just sitting there thinking about, interesting things to say when i'm a guest on a podcast yeah. that's what a lot of so it is it's hard to, for me to be like well that's still work to me that's yeah. still a part of that's a big part of what i do so so i do have a hard time teasing apart like when is this destructive yeah like with my relationships mm -hmm. it definitely is when my girlfriend's like you haven't been listening to me yep. i've been talking for 10 minutes uh and i'm like oh i meant to be but i just simply couldn't or wasn't or you know and i get it seems like i get better with that with age too so well now i have a few different questions mm -hmm. one i mean how do you identify when uh when this is problematic because a lot of people a lot of people listening to this podcast right now have pretty monotonous jobs that they can, that they're allowed to listen to podcasts during their, sure. during their jobs and it keeps them sane because, yeah, I have like people that are, say, truck drivers or something like that that are, that are listening to this and, and having something pulling, pulling their attention away from their task, which is overly monotonous, mm -hmm. actually helps them in yeah. a way. So, so when, when is it actually, kind of a good thing for our attention yeah. to be pulled away and then um another thing i would like to discuss just so i don't forget it uh, i'll write it down that's a good idea uh is is how do these things change over time when we're talking about children being diagnosed and and then the difference between that and adult adhd mm -hmm. and, yeah. and why it's even labeled adult ADHD. why make the distinction right yeah um, so the first question talking about, but when is this, how do we know this is an issue? If it's an issue, why, how do we know? Um, so, so there's kind of this dichotomy in the literature. Um, and there's a group of people who study kind of the benefits of mind wandering, planning being one and creativity being the other really big one, particularly creativity. Um, and there's a lot of philosophy of like, well, why do we even mind wander and why would our brain even have this capacity to do this if it wasn't beneficial in some way? And maybe the things that are coming up for us are these um, are are important, are these important things, right? Whatever pops into our mind or just we need to be thinking about them. Um, and so there are a lot of there are a lot of people who will be planning right? You're planning for your future. Maybe you're sitting in a class and it's boring. You're driving your car and it's boring. And so you're thinking about you know, the things you're going to do next. And that's that's beneficial. That's helpful because then you're going to go and do those things. It's goal-oriented. Um, or you're having kind of these spontaneous creative thoughts um, 
which can also be extremely beneficial, of course. The the parts where it starts to get tricky is one, so we can talk about content. So if you are, um, if your mind wandering gets into kind of the rumination yeah. area, which we see really commonly with anxiety, we see really commonly with depression, yeah. um, uh, where you're just thinking about something that hasn't even happened yet that could be bad or something that did happen that wasn't so great. And you're just thinking about it over and over and over again, right? You're just chewing on it. You're mentally chewing on it. And it's not productive it's not helpful it's really just making you feel horrible um, yeah it makes me want to give up and not put any effort and you start into to tell yourself yeah exactly so that's too. so content wise right you could be you could be mind wandering just spontaneously mm-hmm. about negative things bad things um that aren't helpful or productive and you get stuck on them and it's it's not good that's you know that's objectively not good right. um most of the time if you if you stick with it and then content wise you can be thinking about positive and helpful things um, like we talked about so that's content but then there's also context so uh you're sitting on the bus and you're just like thinking about you what am i going to say on my next podcast right that's mm-hmm. you're sitting on a bus no one cares it's fine <laughs> your task was you have no task you're just mind wandering you're just you're just having thoughts um, but if you're having a conversation with your partner and they're telling you something really important and you're thinking about all of a sudden what you're going to say on your next podcast, right. then you start to get into conflict, right? You're starting to get into social conflict and relationship conflict. Same thing with families. You got issues with families because you're not paying attention to them when they're talking, right? That becomes a really big thing. And then there's also classwork, the example I gave before of school, right? That context, it's important. There are some contexts where it's important for you to be able to engage with the thing around you, um, even if it's not the most stimulating, even if it's not the most engaging to you. Um, And so if you take yourself away from that by mind wandering, not really taking yourself away, you're just, it just happens, really. It's one of the things that just happens um, and you're not noticing it, then you're missing out on whatever's going on in your environment that might be really important. And uh, usually with driving, it's not a big deal. But if you, for example, if you had a really hard time controlling your attention, your mind wandering while driving through these snowy roads, these snowy curvy roads by Mount Hood, and you're thinking about what you're going to say on your next podcast, you're more likely to get in an accident, right? You're Mm -hmm. more likely to hit something. You're more likely to swerve off the road because you're just not paying attention. So it becomes important in certain contexts. Um, And so that's one of the things that I'm looking at is, okay, so we we know that people with ADHD mind wander more. Um, there's been a there's been a good amount of work. They just mind wander more. Um, but there are questions about, you know, how, well, what type of mind wandering? Right. There's different types of mind wandering. Thinking about good things, thinking about bad things, thinking about lots of things, thinking about one thing, um, thinking about getting kind of distracted by things in your external environment. Right. So I'm sitting in this room and I'm like, oh, the lights are so bright. I'm just thinking about that, even though I'm talking to you right now. That's something in my environment versus oh, I'm going to eat lunch later and it's going to be so great. That's completely internally generated, right? There's no food around us right now. I'm not triggered by something in my environment. So you see these questions about, well, what what type of mind wandering is happening? How do we quantify those? Are, are, are more types happening in ADHD than in other types and then in other people? And are these specific types more or less related to impairment, right? So we think if you're having lots of negative thoughts, that's probably more related to um, having negative affect in your life or having more negative emotions in your life, right? That's one thing we can look at. If you're having, when you mind wander, you're having all of these thoughts 
versus kind of thinking about one single thing, is that more impairing in some way? Is that more impairing for your relationships for some reason? Is that more impairing? Um, are you more likely to get in accidents if that's what's happening, right? There are these questions like this. Um, so we can, so, so one of the questions is, yeah, what type, how is mind wandering related to impairment? Are certain types related to impairment? Does it just matter that you just mind wander a lot? Therefore, you're going to have more trouble. Um, and it also starts to get complicated when you think about the individual and you think about their uh, what we call it executive function or their exec- executive capacity. So their ability basically to handle lots of stimuli at once, have good working memory, be able to multitask, being able to kind of make decisions quickly, being just faster, physically faster. Um, these things factor into like how well are you able to cope with the fact that you're mind wandering? Mm-hmm. Um, and some people just would fall apart, right? You gave the example before of um, organization. So some people, they don't have an organization technique, right? You just had to find the emails, but you were able to do that and you made it here and we're having our interview. <laughs> but there might be another person who's just like, they would they would just fail. They just couldn't. They couldn't recover from that. So there are these individual differences that play into it as well. So yeah, complicated question. Complicated, long answer. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's... it's uh, it is fascinating. It's just the... Um, I mean, consciousness is endlessly fascinating anyway, but, it, but even, I mean, I, I also think about not, not specifically mind wandering, which a lot of mine is internal. It's mm-hmm. not invite. In, in fact, I, yeah. I rarely like I'll walk out into traffic and not notice that I'm doing, I, I, I'm, uh, I'm not the most observant person. Um, so most of mine's internal, but, but, um, a lot of, stuff that kind of comes close to mind wandering like like when i'm doing these interviews a lot of times i lose attention momentarily and a lot of it is because i'm just processing mm-hmm. the information mm-hmm. so so you say something that is then kind of i'm making associations to other things mm-hmm. in my mind so i can kind of work through what you're saying but now as my mind's doing that, I'm not listening to what you're saying in the present because I was paying attention. And because of that, the, there's there's kind of Black. this processing. Uh, and is that considered something different? Um, I think it would probably go into mind-wandering territory if I said something that you kind of latched on to. So maybe I was like, oh, there's free candy outside. And now I'm then I switch topics and you're like, free candy outside. <laughs> and then you're like, oh my God, there's free candy outside. I need you to go outside. And I've been talking for like five more minutes, but you're like, the candy's outside. But seriously, um, though, is there free candy but, outside? No, there might be. I don't know. Um, <laughs> we, we should, after this podcast, we're going to hunt for free we're candy. We're find that free candy uh, somewhere. Well, now you've ruined all, now that's <laughs> now all that we I can think actually, about. Exactly. <laughs> but I think in terms of just processing, kind of lagging behind what someone is saying, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call that mind wander necessarily unless yeah. you kind of stick with something and you go over it again or you go, start to go off on a tangent right if you're just kind of like reciting what someone else said and and understanding it then you're following along but if you veer down a path and realize that you've missed a lot of time then yeah you kind of you wiggled off into mind wandering territory i'd say yeah huh yeah that's tricky finding the balance because yeah. i mean that's a big part of learning is is taking information and then making it relevant to you mm-hmm. find yeah. finding ways to make it make sense to you yeah. and kind of so the information that you're hearing and the information that you need to kind of process and 
and translate into your own inner world mm -hmm. is two slightly different uh, right. things. And that's and kind that. of where the executive function thing comes in. Some people are just some people just do that fast. Mm. They do it faster than other people. So if it takes you a while to understand something, you might get stuck on a concept that you're like kind of like trying to figure out and then you miss a bunch of things versus someone who's like, yeah, I get it. And they'll follow along with you because they're just able to process it a lot faster. Mm. Um, so it starts to get tricky. And then there's this whole concept of um, what's called meta attention or meta awareness is like the awareness of thought. So if you if I, you know, candy outside and you're like, oh my God, candy outside. And then you notice, oh, I'm thinking about the candy outside. I need to pay attention to her that you're, you're noticing that your thoughts are not on topic and you're able to switch back and come back to kind of the conversation we're having. And that ability, I think, is really, really interesting and extremely important. Um, cause you can start mind wandering, but if you're able to notice it and come back, then it's, most likely going to be less impairing for you, right? Especially if you're having these negative thoughts or if you're having, you're doing it in an inappropriate context. If you're able to kind of come back, then it's probably fine. But if you just, you get stuck in this other world and it's really hard for you to come back because you just don't notice or it's hard for you to shift, then uh, then you kind of, you, you're potentially more in, the, in this more impaired group, mm. potentially. So not mm. something I'm looking at right right now, but... Um, other people have, and it's a really interesting question, this capacity to just notice that your mind is wandering, which is something that you practice in, in meditation. It's right. kind of one of the like easiest way to conceptualize, like, well, how do I get better at this? You meditate, because that's literally what it is, yeah. noticing your thoughts. Yeah. Um, but it's a real interesting, I think. Yeah, no, I we we talk about mindfulness and meditation a fair amount on this podcast. I think yeah. it's uh, it's incredible for me. It's been uh, exceptionally helpful, um, and I'm reminding myself that I need to stick to it more regularly. Mm -hmm. um, it's easy to take for granted. You're like, and done. I I got this mindfulness stuff <laughs> down now. I'm doing great, and then I fall out of doing the guided ones. And, yeah. Um, I, when I was a kid, I remember um, school being very, very easy initially, like the first couple weeks of class or whatever, when mm. I had that, like, hey, it's a new year. I remember processing the information really easily and then sitting around being like, why is it taking other people so long mm -hmm. to, why are they having to over explain everything? And that's when my mind would start wandering. Sure. And then, and then I would be not paying attention when new information that I didn't know would come up. And then I would be, I would find myself halfway through the semester completely lost yeah. because I stopped paying attention for a few weeks. And I was, since I was like six years old, I was always, my name was always on the board with like checks <laughs> and stuff. And I was always having to stay after class and being disciplined in yeah. some way. So these days, probably that's a, that's a big red flag. And that's something that someone's taking a look at a, a kid that's constantly yeah. having their name yeah. on the board. Ideally, in a, in a school where teachers are kind of attentive and parents who are also attentive, it kind of takes it takes both parties to... So if you have a parent and a teacher meeting or a teacher who's contacting a parent in that context, um, ideally, you would have a parent who's bringing their kid in. Hopefully, they're getting... Um, uh, what's called an IEP or an individual education plan. So extra help in school if they need it. Um, and yeah, and there are, are 
I mean, I think everyone can remember that kid in their class. Like there are a couple of kids in their class, or maybe they mm-hmm. were that kid in their class who just couldn't stay in their seat or just wasn't paying attention or just, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and it gets hard because you could go into a whole debate about the education system and the way that we teach our kids and we're just not catering to kids' different needs and kids have different styles of learning, and that's true. But we have a flawed system and we need to do it one way right now, and hopefully that'll continue to change um, over time as we kind of learn new things about learning and and how to best do that. But for now, we have kids who just need a little bit extra and they need something a little bit different. So hopefully we can give that to them. But yeah, it becomes difficult when you're not engaged or you're not aroused or you're just not interested in what's going on around you. Once you lose focus, it's just kind of you fall off and you can't. It's really hard to come back after that for a lot of people. I had I had kind of poor uh, reading levels mm-hmm. when I was tested in in reading. That was always my weakest. I did really well in math, and then uh, my mm-hmm. I'm a slow reader still mm-hmm. to this day. I actually didn't really start reading books until I, I was in my early twenties. I always like cheated on book reports and whatnot. <laughs> so I think that was part of it. Was I just was never reading, so I didn't get the practice. Mm-hmm. Now, but is that a is that a big problem with um, kids with ADHD is is reading, or is it different for everyone? It'll. I mean, it's different for everybody. You can. There's such a. There's such a widespread. So generally, with kids, definitely. Generally, in ADHD, you'll have a, um, a slightly lower IQ than the rest of the population. That's kind of common to that that group. Um, but there's also a subset of individuals who have really high IQs, and then they start to be able to really cope with the ADHD in a different and interesting way. Um, but that's kind of a separate, that's a whole field um, of like these kind of gifted kids with ADHD. Um, so generally, IQs are a little bit lower, and um, things like dyslexia or other learning disorders are often paired with ADHD, mm-hmm. um, which makes it a little bit more complicated, like we were talking about before, kind of to pull apart well what's a learning disability what's a learning disorder what parts are adhd and how do we pull them apart and how do we treat these different things and um that's where getting kind of a full evaluation and coming up with a plan um in in school being kind of the most important thing and then hopefully them developing some type of um coping mechanisms or strategies for kind of moving beyond the educational system and dealing with those things in the world is ideal but we don't live in an ideal world but I think a lot of school systems are doing what they can to kind of get the resources to these kids. And and those two things often go together, learning disabilities and ADHD. Do you think it's harder in a more distracting world with social (laughs) media? I mean, when I was a kid, I I was sitting in class wishing that I was home playing video games. And now kids have video games in their pockets. And that would seem like something that would be very distracting. Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it comes up all the time. Um, and this is, this is just what I think, but, uh, I think attention, if we just talk about attention in the world, we're altering our attention. I think we're altering our attention for sure with, mostly smartphones and just technology and the the speed that we can get information and the speed with which we can just stop talking to someone and look at our phone. Um, and same thing with like earbuds and just the, all the technology that we have kind of um, separates us and puts us in a different spot and it's available. We can be stimulated at the drop of a hat at any moment. 
So I think for the entire population, attention is changing and attention spans might be changing and expectations changing about like, well, I should be engaged all the time because I have the ability to be engaged all the time and people having maybe a little bit of a harder time sitting with boredom um, or figuring out a way to entertain themselves that does not involve pulling out a phone. Um, but in terms of ADHD, I mean, ADHD, ADHD has been a thing. ADHD is still a thing. And as the enti- as all people have this shift in attention, I mean, the individuals with ADHD will go with that and maybe they'll have a harder time sitting with their boredom or sitting with not being totally engaged with something will be more likely to want to grab at things, especially if you have that hyperactivity aspect. Okay, that's the, the, those fidget spinners are, are mm. a big thing of just like having something that is stimulating to you. I like those fidget spinners. Yeah. <laughs> they're, I think they're so weird. I, they're, <laughs> they're fun to hold, but it's, yeah, it's interesting seeing all the things that are coming out for kids to distract themselves with. But I mean, there's a little bit of theory behind this idea of having something that's Stimu- it's it's really about stimulation and arousal. Um, there's a whole theory of of ADHD re- that revolves around ar- arousal, and is that these kids are probably a subset of these kids just are have low arousal, just baseline. They're just like not feeling stimulated or engaged, and it makes them really it makes it really hard for them to engage and to attend to something because it's just they're just not you're just not feeling it mm-hmm. right. So if you can do something to raise that arousal level right? Give them something physical that's stimulating them, then maybe they'll be better able to pay attention to something else, which is why often you see in ADHD kids who, um, right, video games or something that they think is really interesting, right? It could be, you know, it could be science class, whatever it may be. They'll be locked in. Their attention is hyper-focused on something that they love, but then completely gone for something that they don't think is interesting at all. So there's this kind of arousal differential of like what's engaging to you and what isn't. And when you are engaged, you're able to hold on to it. But if you're not, it's a lost cause. So how do we kind of keep that arousal level up? So that could be one argument for the fidget spinner. But <laughs> yeah, I also spin poi. Uh, oh, yeah. And that seems to help. Mm, uh, mm-hmm. that, that seems to help with it. it it's like the uh, the weight of it. Um, just mm. kind of pulls me yeah. out of my head yeah. enough to pay attention to other. Like I sometimes feel like I can pay attention better to things. Like if I'm listening to a lecture at home, mm-hmm. if I'm doing um, like Sudoku or something, yeah. I you can pay attention much, much better. Raise it up. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and so, uh, but also again, as I get older, um, I don't like. I used to be such a huge adrenaline junkie. I still, uh, I, I still like um, risk taking stuff a little bit, but not not like I used to. Uh, so that brings us back to the question I was going to ask earlier mm-hmm. about how do uh, how does this change over time? What is the difference between um, ADHD and kids and adult ADHD? Yeah. So I mean. The biggest thing is really so in kids, um, you so just diagnostically in kids, you have to have either six inattentive symptoms or six hyperactive symptoms mm-hmm. um, or you could have more. You could have both of those things, but at least six in one of those categories. As an adult, you just need five. So it's a little bit it drops down a little bit. It's not really that drastic. So the diagnostic criteria in adult is a little bit more lenient than in a kid. But again, as an adult, you have to have had ADHD as a kid. So that's just in terms of, of diagnosis. Um, one of the things, I mean, the big things that we see is, is 
the manifestation of hyperactivity. So in adulthood, inattentive is really the tends to be the primary complaint, um, which, you know, problems keeping a job because you're just not paying attention or you're disorganized and you don't make it to meetings or you're having problems with relationships because you're not listening to what people are saying or you never do what they say or you can't get things done or right, these organization and, and attention things are kind of the the big things that come up the most. And you can still have hyperactivity symptoms where you just kind of need to be like running around and going more. But as an adult, it's a little bit more acceptable to kind of like get up and move around a lot. Whereas you're a kid and you're in the class all day. If you get out of your chair, it's a huge problem. So the, the hyperactivity kind of manifests just just socially in a different way in a kid and um, also tends to kind of decrease as people get older. So like running around and jumping on stuff, you shouldn't be jumping on and just that like impulsivity aspect. Not to say that there are there are adults who are still impulsive for sure, but uh, I think inattentive starts to move up. Um, and there's a really interesting thing too with uh, males and females. So in kids, ADHD is prominently, um, is, is much more prevalent in males. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of debates as to why that is. And one of the biggest one is that it just manifests in a much more visible way in males um, and in females, it's much more kind of inattentive and more internalizing and, and, you know, quote unquote quieter. And in males, they're just like running around and grabbing stuff. And it's just, it's just more, it's more seeable. Um, and maybe we're just, we don't have the criteria to really capture what's going on in females. Um, and one of the reasons we think that is because when you look at adults, it starts to kind of even out. It's still, there's still more males, but it's not, it's the, the skew is not even close to what we see in childhood. So like females are up and coming and as adults, as adults with ADHD, they emerge, but they have to have had it as kids. So, um, so that's a really interesting thing too. So it's this, this shift in the male to female ratio. Um, and then also as adults, you have kind of all of these executive functions coming online, these strategies and these coping mechanisms that we were talking about before. So as a kid, you might just be like, I don't know what to do, right? You're eight and you're just like, I can't pay attention. And you're not necessarily able to come up with all of these strategies that you might be able to come up with when you're 30. Mm-hmm. Um, so, right, these coping strategies start to come online. And also you've spent potentially spent your entire life learning how to navigate hopefully uh learning how to navigate adhd and maybe if you know the people who have more social support or had more support through school are able to kind of figure out how to live in a society where adhd kind of is not necessarily the most acceptable thing in a lot of contexts um but being able to kind of deal with that and work your way around it those skills start to come online in adulthood um but yeah, I mean, a lot of it really revolves around society. And you know, you're a kid, you're you get potentially you'll get help, you'll get extra help in school, and you'll have all these safeguards around you. And um, your parents are helping you a lot. And then when you're an adult, you're not in school anymore. You don't have these safeguards. Your parents aren't like holding your hand anymore. And so for a lot of people, that could be a big turning point too. Of like, I don't have my network of support anymore, and I didn't figure out how to do this on my own. And they might have a really hard time. So it really. Mm. Like everything, it depends. There are lots of different people and lots of different stories, and um, but yeah, I would say male to female, and this this coping ability as you get older and inattention kind of becoming the more prominent thing that's that's impairing for people at least, or the reason that they they show up in the clinic. Hmm. Um, yeah. 
So uh, before we wrap up, I forgot we should have done this right in the beginning. Uh-huh. I, I did these. I did these fun surveys. You did. This isn't an official diagnosis. No, it's not at, at all. <laughs> I am is, not a clinician. Right. But <laughs> but uh, what are these surveys that I did? So um, I just had him fill out a couple of questionnaires. So these are a couple that we use in the lab, but um, they can also be used in the in the clinic. These are the. Um, they're called the bars. They were made by um, this guy Barkley, who's a big ADHD researcher, and he he's created a lot of these kind of validated questionnaires and and things that we use both in research and in, in the clinic. And so these are just questions um, reporting on current symptoms and childhood symptoms of broken up into inattentive symptoms and hyperactivity symptoms. So examples of inattention, it says things like um, difficulty sustaining my attention in tasks for fun activities or lose things necessary for tasks or activities or forgetful in daily activities. Um, and then hyperactivity would be um, shift around excessively or feel restless. I'm feel like I'm on the go or if or as if driven by a motor. Um, having difficulty waiting your turn. So he just circled either never, sometimes, often, or very often on all of these. And so the um, again the cutoff for an adult for current symptoms would be five. If you have five symptoms, either within an attentive or hyperactivity. And so Shane got eight <laughs> inattention symptoms and just one hyperactivity, which is a really common kind of skew. Hyperactivity is less common in adulthood. Mm. Um, and hyperactivity alone is extremely uncommon, period. If, so, mm. if someone just has hyperactivity and no inattention, there's like, it's like 3% of all of the individuals with ADHD mm. it's kind of a weird thing and there's like questions about if that's even a thing but um yeah so this this skew of inattention is much more common and then we also asked about his childhood similar questions but just reflecting on um, were you like this when you were a kid um and he got nine inattentive nine and out of nine nine out of nine perfect score <laughs> for inattention and then two hyperactive so kind of the same profile of just inattention um, and I also told him to answer these, think about yourself um, if you have coping strategies, right? So I drink caffeine, that enables me to pay attention or I, you know, um, anything that you might do. Think about if you didn't do those things. So what would it be like if you weren't using strategies? Um, so people can often kind of, that'll bump up their their scores if they think about that. Yeah. I mean, meditation's been hugely uh, helpful in my life. Even just things like uh, going for a hike with friends yeah. and enjoying the scenery and the conversations mm-hmm. and stuff. And, and so just making my life more enjoyable, not just more productive or whatever. Yeah. So, uh, I couldn't praise meditation enough. Um, it's, uh, it, although no one talks about contemplation. No one talks about, there's no like guided contemplation exercises or like contemplation mm. apps or anything. And I feel like contemplation is very uh, individualistic. So yeah. it'd be hard to, I guess you could open ended be like, think about this type of thing, but then it would be kind of be over. Much hmm. of a guided thing. I don't know. <laughs> It's just know. something that occurred to me. I was like, after after a few years of meditation and being like, so this thought pops up and then ignore it, uh, basically, and like bring your attention back to your breath. After a while, I was like, what are the thoughts? <laughs> wait, 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 I liked that thought. Like, I want to think yeah. about that more. Yeah. Um, One of the things you can do, too, is if you, um, not during meditation, obviously, but afterwards, if you just reflect on what were those thoughts that popped up? And you'll probably remember the most salient ones, the most important ones, and then just write them down mm-hmm. and then give yourself the space to dive into them and think about them. And especially if you have the same thoughts coming up over and over again. There was advice that was given to me. Someone asked, you know, what what do I do when I'm meditating? And I keep, I just keep having 
I'm distracted by this thought. Mm-hmm. And every time it always just comes up and the advice was like, that's not going to go away. Um, and you really have, you have to address the thought. It's always going to be there. So take the time to, to address the thoughts that you have coming up, particularly the ones that are over and over again, which I thought was really good advice. Yeah. Yeah. I sometimes have my to-do list <laughs> bubbling up during meditation. Uh, uh-huh. Um, I, I was told to, um, we had, uh, the founder of Headspace uh, mm-hmm. on, uh, oh, cool. Andy Pettycomb and he, he said, because I have trouble with that, he said that to picture yourself um, writing it down or whatever. After Picture what you're going to be doing afterwards, like if you're going to go and mm-hmm. get a drink of water afterwards, and then picture yourself like writing down that thought then at that moment. So then when you go to do that thing, mm-hmm. you'll you. remember. Um, but, uh, but yeah, meditation, mindfulness, it's cool stuff. Um, I, uh, in my... Poor, poor organizational skills. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot because I forgot to. I forgot to tell you about a thing that we do. We have each guest name a nonprofit yeah. of their choice. Oh, good. you did tell me. Oh, good. good, good. <laughs> Give yourself more um, credit. You told me. <laughs> all right, terrific. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, it's it's just a nice little thing that we like to do on the show. Yeah. So, did you have a nonprofit in mind? That you I want? do. I have a couple actually, but I'll just I, say one. Sure. Um, there's one, there's a place, um, there's a nonprofit in Portland, here in Portland, Oregon, um, called Pear. And it is a day center for homeless youth. Um, and so I actually volunteer with another nonprofit, Northwest Noggin, who I know you interviewed, yeah. Bill. Um, did you interview Jeff? Yep. Yeah, Bill and Jeff from Northwest Noggin. Um, and I volunteer with them. And so we went to Pear, this, this day center, um, and hung out for a couple hours for a couple different days and just taught these kids about the brain neuroscience. And I did like a gallery show there too. And these kids are, I mean, it gives them a space. These are, these are homeless youth who are on the streets in here in Portland. And we have a huge homeless population, um, and a huge homeless issue here, mm-hmm. but especially with the youth. So this gives them the space, a safe space for them to be during the day, which is, invaluable and it's a it's a wonderful it's a place for them to eat it's a place for them to be together it's a place for them to read it's a place for them to just like take respite it's a place for them to engage with art it's a place for them to engage with science they have guests come in um they have meditation there too they have a person come in and teach meditation and they have a coffee shop there and they'll train these kids to be baristas in their little coffee shop and they'll serve. There's a window and they'll serve to the public, the people walking around the streets. So giving them skills to kind of use as they kind of graduate from being able to be at pair, get jobs outside. And um, it's 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 a phenomenal. It's yeah, like a wonderful. Amazing. It's wonderful. It's so wonderful. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you, Brittany, for joining me. Yeah. This is a wonderful conversation. And thank you, listeners, for downloading, tuning in, uh, whatever you call it these days. Down- downloading sounds weird because we're so used to saying tuning in from I don't think the radio. You just click. Thanks for clicking. Thanks on for the clicking. Play button. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we'll uh, talk with you guys next week. Thank you. Next week on the program. Program? Sure. Program. Why not? Program. I'm going to be in Vancouver, Washington, talking with uh, neuroscientist John Harkness about uh, about a little bit about drug addiction. Maybe some new uh, some new interesting techniques 
that could help break drug addiction in the future and a little more, a little bit of a um, different neuroscience uh, uh, kind of behind addiction that we've never discussed before. So uh, it's it's awesome that we get to put all of these different um, pieces together from all, all these different people with these very specialized niches and, and together through the course of this podcast, which is coming up on, it's going to be 200 episodes in no time, guys, we're, we're creating this, this really full picture of what's going on in an individual subject. I think this, I'm so proud of this podcast and, uh, I, what a, what a great resource, um, for people. I think, I think it's, it seems like, yeah, yeah. Believe in yourself, Shay. It's a great resource for people. We're learning a lot together, and uh, I and I'm I'm happy to all of you that have been supportive on Patreon. Um, the the little bit that I've been getting on Patreon has made all of the difference. As I've been uh, putting a lot of less energy into stand up and more energy into investing in a whole bunch of projects that could be really awesome and so far haven't paid me a thing um and so so the patreon support has been really helpful trying to take uh the here we are podcast and shane moss enterprises to the next level the next level um so i really really do appreciate it patreon.com slash shane moss those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are, of course, my favorite.
Let's say uh, Seinfeld was on an island yeah. and he was blowing Boris Karloff. What would, it, what would that be like? <laughs> it might go something like this. Oh, Mr. Karloff, I loved you and Frankenstein, and I love giving you a blowjob. Why, Mr. Seinfeld, I'd love having you 